0: Well, before we begin, Rob, I thought you were born to Albania. You were? A couple more weeks. All right, Great. I encourage you to know Rob after service or you have him over. That would be, that'd be great. Anything we can pray for you about? We'll pray for your knee. Bum knee, huh? All right. We'll pray for that in weeks to come. Excuse me, I, I want you to think this morning as we begin, about all the authority figures that have been placed in your life. Every single one of you is different. You have different people placed over you. Uh, all of us have government officials who are placed over us. We all are subject to policemen. We all have church leaders to whom we submit. Those of you in the workforce, if you work for somebody, you have a boss to submit to. You might have a president of a company that you submit to. Maybe you're involved in an organization of some type, uh, some kind of club or social group or co op. There's authority structure there. So you're submissive to be submissive to. We all have parents who are in authority over us. Uh, some of you young people have teachers, and some of you who are involved in athletic teams have coaches. You're involved in any kind of orchestra, you have conductors that you need to that are in authority over you. and, and each of, each of these people have various degrees of authority. Uh, a policeman has a different authority than your boss, and your parents have different authority over you than pastors have authority over you. Some of your authorities are, are permanent. you know you're stuck with your parents. what is? Uh, Some of your authorities are temporary. You're involved in an organization just for a little time. uh, That soon passes. Some people have much authority, like the IRS, and some people have lesser authority, like a babysitter. But you know what? It's no accident that we all have authority figures in our lives. God has established the universe with authority and submission at the heart of how He created the world. See, anarchy is not God's plan. Rather, He established the worlds with certain people to have authority, and certain people to submit to these authorities. Now, sometimes we we play different hats, right? We can step from one place into another place. Like a, a child who's in submission to a parent might find herself in authority as the parents leave and she's babysitting, or you know, in an, another place, a, a president of a company might serve as an election judge who's under, you know, someone who's, who's seeing, overseeing everything, just kind of sitting there at the table watching people come in and out. So we all play different roles in different ways and sometimes we submit and sometimes we have authority in, in those cases. And those in authority sometimes are real official. They, uh, they dress for the occasion. I think about the referee who dresses black and white striped shirt, has a whistle in his mouth. So if something happens, tweet, you know, can stop the whole game. That's a lot of authority. I mean, think about a Super Bowl official. 100,000 people watching the game, millions on television. He just blows his whistle and all plays stops. Policemen, dressed in uniforms, wear a badge. A judge wears a robe in a courtroom. We have lots of authority in our lives. It's not just on the human level that authority is... Authority also exists on the spiritual level. The Bible speaks in several places of the archangel, which implies like the the highest angel, Michael, to whom other angels are subservient. Authority in this universe isn't merely restricted to time either. Uh, Authority isn't just an earthly phenomenon. It will go on for eternity. The Bible speaks how believers in Christ will judge angels. And it positions over them authority. Jesus told a parable in which he said, Some who are faithful in this life will have authority over ten cities. Others will have authority over five cities, and this implies that people will have positions of authority and submission throughout all eternity. It's not just an earthly thing. And perhaps what's most surprising to many people is within the members of the Trinity itself, there's submission and authority. Think about this verse, 1 Corinthians 11:3. I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man. That means that Christ the authority, and the man is the head of a woman. Means a man's the authority in the home. And, catch this, God is the head of Christ. Within the Trinity, there is submission and authority. And I've often thought, why, why is it that God is like that? Why, why does God tell us that? And I think God tells us that so we might not despise authority. Because, quite frankly, we all struggle with our submission to the authorities that God has placed over our lives, don't we? Aren't there times? I mean, there are times in which it's pretty easy to submit to those who are in authority over you, especially when you, know, respect, you respect them and they instruct you to do something that you want to do anyway. Authority is easy. But there are times in our lives when authorities request of us things we don't want to do. Children, are there ever any times that your parents tell you to do something you don't want to do? SR? Does that ever happen in our house? No, really. Really. Tell you to clean your room or to clean the dishes or read this book or mow the lawn or do something. It's hard at that time to submit, right? Or not go to children's church this morning, right, Hannah? It's hard at those times, right? Athletes, there are times when your coach tells you something you don't really want to do. Run some wind sprints. I want you to shoot a thousand shots today. I want you to dive for that loose ball. Scrape your knee. Who cares? I want the ball. I don't care about your knee. You know, coach might, mm, it's kind of hard to do that sometimes. You're tired. Your referee, sometimes hard to submit to a referee. Many in the crowd sometimes find it hard to submit to the referee who makes a call that in their judgment went the wrong way. Right? Because what do you hear? Boo! Get him some glasses! There are times your boss tells you some things you don't like to do. Well, you need to work an extra hour tonight. How many of you like to hear that? Or you, you can't take vacation over the summer because of the workload at, at uh, work. Or I need you to work overtime this weekend. On call, right? In those times it's hard for us to submit, but it's in those times we need to remember Peter's words are found in our text this morning. If you haven't done so already, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17 is where where we come. And we're really getting into the heart of this epistle. As I've told you time and time again, the, uh, the theme of First Peter is what? It's suffer now, glory later. Look, let's get that together. The theme of First Peter is suffer now, glory later. And we're going to see Peter talking about different ways in which people suffer and find it hard. But he says, in light of the glory of where God is, and in light of the glory you receive later, you, you suffer now and you submit yourself to the authority. Let's read here 1 Peter chapter 2, 13-17. Peter says this, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, And do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people. Love the brethren, Fear God. Honor the king. Now the governing principle in all five of these verses is the word submit. In fact, we see this word several times throughout this major section here. Look at chapter 2, verse 18. Servants, be submissive. Chapter 3, verse 1. Wives, be submissive. And if you write in your Bibles, I would encourage you to. These would be good words to circle. Circle the word submit. Circle the word be submissive. Circle the word be submissive in chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 18. And here in chapter 2, verse 13. And so that sometime later, two years from now, you come back to 1 Peter and what jumps off your page? Oh, submit. Be submissive. Be submissive. Oh, that might be a theme in the key to this section of Scripture for indeed it is Now, this word, submit, comes from the Greek word hupotasso. It's really a combination of two words that in this case, when you you figure out what each of them mean independently, you put them together and it really works. Hupo means under. Um, Simply what it means, the preposition meaning under. And tasso is is a military term meaning to order, place, or appoint. And so you put hupo and tasso together. To get hupotasso, it means to place yourself under, or to order yourself under, or to line up under. That's what it means. And so in this case, you might easily think about this. Line yourselves up under every human institution. Now the scope of Peter's admonition here is pretty broad. Look what it says. To every human institution. It means all authorities in your life. Line yourself under all those authorities if you're a student God's calling you to line yourself up under your teacher if you work for a boss God's calling you to line up under your boss if you're a citizen God is calling you to line up under your policemen your governmental authorities and in the following sections, Peter's going to give some practical ways in which it manifests itself. Particularly in our section 13 through 17 today, he's going to focus his attention upon government the governmental authorities. In verses 18 through 20, he's going to focus upon master slave relationships, which today is like a boss employer employee relationship. And then in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, he's going to apply the principle of submission to our marriages. And we just need to see and be convinced that submission to authority is God's plan for our lives. It's the way he made the universe to function. Think about it. If there was no authority, there'd be anarchy. And if there's anarchy, there's no peace. And if there's no peace, nobody's happy, nothing gets done, and chaos is the result. That's not the way our Lord is. Our Lord didn't create a world where chaos would be the norm. He he created a world where people ought to submit and where people can live in harmony with one another. He's created it to function well. And so my exhortation to you this morning, to all of you, is submit to your authorities. Whoever that is in your lives. Do what they do. Do what they tell you to do. Do it well. And do it with joy. Because you know that God calls you to submit to your authorities in your life. Well, Peter gives us three reasons why we ought to do so. The first comes here in verses 13 and 14. Submit to your authorities for the Lord's sake. You can see that right there in verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Submission to authorities is the right thing to do. That's the sense of the phrase, for the Lord's sake. We're His ambassadors and we represent Him. We're to do so by submitting to our authorities. It gives testimony to our God. Submission is a good thing. Think about when Jesus says, you want to be great? Whoever wants to be great among you must be a servant. That's one who submits. One who lines himself under. One who potassos himself. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. And Jesus modeled that. When Jesus came into the world, He said, My food is to do the will of Him who sent Me and to accomplish His work. Jesus placed Himself under the authority of God the Father. Likewise, our submission to our authorities is a a good thing. And Peter's words here really address in some sense the the mode of our hearts, the disposition of our minds and our submission. We submit to authorities. It ought not to be because you're forced to do so. Rather, you ought to submit because you desire to do so, because you do so willingly. That's the idea here. It says, submit yourselves. You all make a choice today. And just say, you know what? I'm going to submit myself here. Peter's not holding a gun to your chest and saying, submit or else. Peter, rather, is putting his arms around you and reasoning with you why it is you ought to submit you got to submit, first of all, for the, the Lord's sake. And maybe there are some of you right now even thinking about the authorities you don't want to submit to. Maybe you children think about your parents. Yeah, I don't want to submit to my parents. And maybe there's some parents who aren't submitting to your boss. I don't want to submit to my boss. Maybe there's some wives not submitting to your husbands. Listen, just God has called us to a life of submission. In fact, even right now, maybe it's time for us to pray pray for god to give us help to submit to our authorities you know my message this morning isn't self-help it isn't nike this morning i'm not saying just do it all right what am i saying i'm saying this is what god has called us to do let's seek the lord for help to do it in fact let's just pray right here in the middle of our message before we go on lord i would pray for those this morning who are perhaps convicted in their heart that they are flat out disobeying this commandment in the scripture and for those Lord who want to submit and who want to find the path of joy and freedom and delight I pray Lord that you would give them that desire I pray Lord that you would give them that ability I pray Lord that they in their their flesh would see you so work so as to see them desiring to to line up rightly under you Whatever relationship that is, and, and I can't even list all of them in this room. There's so many. I pray that we would be submitters of our hearts, desiring to please those who you've set over us in your sovereign will. To so do a work among us. Perhaps I preach, convict hearts, and um, God, cause us to, to cry out to you. I pray in Christ's name. Well, that's submission in general. Let's look at Peter's example here to uh, government. He says here, submit yourselves to every human institution. And then he just kind of says, okay, well, here, let's talk about whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent through him is literally what it says. These words, Peter's trying to be very broad in his application, right? We might extrapolate these verses to say, submit yourselves to every human institution, whether to the president of the United States whether to your United States senators, whether to your state governors or state representatives, or to your mayor or judge or city officials or policemen or security guards, submit yourself to the governmental authorities. Now, there may be times and seasons where this is easier to do than in other times. I think about when leaders of the country are, are morally upholding God's laws, enacting legislation right and alongside of what God's revelation has revealed, submission to the government's easy, right? When our Supreme Court's making righteous decisions, it's easier to s- submit to our government. When our homeland is secure, our economy's booming, it's not hard to submit because winning teams bring a healthy attitude. Hey, we're winning. Huh, I'll follow that. That's great. But there are times when things aren't going so well, and it's a little bit harder. When our president is pro choice, it becomes more difficult to submit and pray for him, right? When our Congress raises taxes, takes away our freedom, becomes more difficult to submit to our government. Unless we're on the side of receiving taxes, then we kind of like that. When our economy's slow, things aren't going so well, it's easy to grumble against our, our, our leaders because losing brings out all the complainers on the team. It always does. See, when the government appears to be against God, we might easily have a tendency to resist. This call of God upon our lives, right? When the government refuses to allow prayer in school, right? We just, uh, you know, we get all angry. But you know what? That's that's the rules that God has established. When the government won't allow the posting of Ten Commandments, we don't want to submit to that government. And how easy it is to ditch the whole thing because they won't allow some plaque someplace. When the government enacts hate crimes legislation that possibly extends preaching against sinful behavior, it's difficult to submit. But listen, it's interesting here. Peter makes no distinction here between righteous rulers and unrighteous rulers. He's calling us to life of willing submission to all our governmental authorities. Now you know in your mind, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Isn't there some exception? Well, there is. All right? He's not calling us to agree with everything. He's not calling us to blind obedience. There is a hierarchy of authority. God is over everything, right? In Matthew chapter 8. He's over sin and sickness. He's over disciples coming after Him. He's over the wind and the waves and the storm and demons. He's got authority to forgive sins. That is God. He's supreme authority, but He has delegated His authority to sub-authorities like government. But should the government demand from us something that God forbids or forbid us something that God demands, then we must disobey our authorities because there is a, a greater authority which we as Christians have allegiance to. Should the government command us to bow to the president as God, we'd flat out disobey that. And there's no problem in that. And should the government prohibit our assembling together, we disobey our governmental authorities and we'd assemble together. Now we might work around that. Like I know in China, they don't want big assemblies. So they have, right? they just have little scattering assemblies. So they're working around it, submitting to the government. They can't, because they'll be in trouble, right? But So they, they work around that, and we would certainly do that. But we wouldn't stop assembling together. Should the government pass a law that says you can't evangelize other people, which are lots of places, right? I, I think even in Nepal, you can't do that. Right? Because um, you know, doing that, you're changing religion, you're upsetting structures, and so you can't, you can't do that. We'd still do that. We'd still evangelize because God called us to that. I mean, this is Peter and John's dilemma. The Sanhedrin ordered them not to continue teaching in the name of Christ. And they humbly replied, We must obey God rather than men. And that's the principle there. They were compelled by Jesus to go out to the world to make disciples of the nations by proclaiming Christ. And that's what they did. And they suffered for it. They were flogged for it. But here it is. Better to die at the hands of government officials than to betray our Lord. There's the principle. We will... Not submit to the government, we can find passage of Scripture that requires us to do what the government's prohibiting calls us to do what the or prohibits us to do what the government requires. But listen, if you can't find a verse, in all our situations we need to submit to our authorities. I think that's the breadth of the call the scripture upon our lives in submission. If you can find a verse, disobey. Gladly, cheerfully, delight on your face. But if you can't find a verse, submit. And I would contend that that takes our excuses and brings them all the way down. We're called to submit for the Lord's sake to every human institution. That's what Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah faced. You know those guys in the Bible? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know those guys? That was their Babylonian name. <clears throat> they were model citizens. Some of the Jewish elite, the top of their class. None was found like these guys. The king put them into their personal service. And Daniel 1.20 says that every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than the magicians conjurers, um, and, the magicians and the conjurers who were with him in all the realm. The, these people lived out, Proverbs 16.7, When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. I mean, they prospered greatly, fitting in to this pagan Babylonian society, I believe, because they were submitting themselves to the governmental authorities. But there was a day when Nebuchadnezzar erected a golden image 90 feet tall. He said, when the music played, all in the kingdom were to fall down and worship the golden image, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused because they had Scripture, right? You shall have no other gods before me. Nebuchadnezzar was enraged. He called them in to give him account for their disobedience. He says, if you continue to disobey, I'm going to throw you into the furnace of fire. <clears throat> these three men blessed their heart. said, we must obey God rather than men. He said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and He will deliver us out of your hand, O King. But even if He doesn't, Let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. You know the story. The music played, refused to obey, thrown into the furnace, and God saved him from the furnace. The effect that it had was Nebuchadnezzar issued then a proclamation. If anybody speaks anything offensive to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he shall be torn limb from limb and their houses reduced to a rubbish heap. God got great glory for himself. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, better to die at the hands of governmental officials than to betray our Lord. And that's the exception that Peter commanded here. But rather than focusing on the exception, let's consider what he's calling us to do. He's calling us to complete willing submission to every authority in our lives. Unless we find a biblical reason not to. And it's especially astonishing when you think about the political situation in Peter's day. When Peter wrote this epistle to the scattered believers throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. They were all under the rule of the Roman emperor Nero. Now, some of you who know Nero know his character. A great historian, Philip Schaff calls him one of the basest and vilest of tyrants. He heaped crime upon crime until he became a proverbial monster of iniquity. This is what Peter's writing about. He's, ta- he's writing about a monster of iniquity. The first five years of his reign were commendable, but the last nine were awful, filled with terrible acts of violence. Some of it precipitated. Uh, not precipitated, but you know, one of the big climax things was when Rome was burned, like the great Chicago fire. <clears throat> and there are many in the days of nero who accused him of ordering the burning of the city tacitus a political figure and historian of nero's day tells us how robbers and ruffians were seen to throw blazing brands into the buildings and when seized they affirmed that they acted under higher orders so that's what a politician at the time said was the witness and some reason that Nero burned the city because he wanted to gratify his ambition to rebuild Rome more magnificent than ever before and change his name to Neropolis. Well, when Nero was constantly suspected of having ordered the burning, which he probably did, he tried to divert the issue by blaming the Christians of the day. I mean, they were the easiest targets of that day. They despised the Roman gods. They professed allegiance to a higher king than Caesar, they were under suspicions for the secret meetings. They were slandered. Um, Roman politicians, philosophers, slandered the Christian religion as mere superstition. So the time was right for Nero to find a scapegoat, blame the Christians for the burning of Rome. As a result, listen, many Christians lost their lives. Christians lost their lives in different ways. Mostly by burning. Some by crucifixion. Some of them were wrapped in the hides of wild beasts and then thrown to the dogs where they were torn in pieces. Listen, all because of the cruelty of Nero, who ordered these awful things to take place. Christians suffered because of the emperor. And Peter said, I'm writing to you now, if for a little while, if necessary, you're undergoing various trials. So, your proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, may ultimately result in praise and honor to Christ. Peter knew full well that they were undergoing trials and difficulties. He knew full well that Nero was behind it all. And what did he say? Submit to your governmental authorities. Whether to a king, as the one authority, some translations there say emperor, whether to Nero, as the one authority, we are to submit to him because he is the authority that God has established. And things climax with Nero, just to give you a taste of how wicked he was. In Nero's own kingly garden, Christians were hoisted up on poles, scattered around the garden, covered with tar and pitch, and then lit on fire to be used as stadium lights for the chariot races that they're going to have. And Nero himself was racing that time Christians burning all around him. that's Nero Peter says submit to him Peter would one day be killed by the Roman government because of the persecution that Nero had and Peter says submit to him it is amazing what Peter says submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution as to a king as to one in authority or governors are sent by him The government of Peter's day was far more godless than our government today is. I mean, the issues that we deal with today, pale in insignificance compared to the issues the early Christians faced at the hand of their government. Listen, as far left as you see the ACLU today, they would be far right in Nero's day. Had they been existent that day, there's no doubt in my mind that they would have been the first ones to come to the political help of Christians who are being burned for the religious Faith. I bet they'd come. So far to the right they would be in trying to guarantee religious and trying to guarantee liberty. <clears throat> Listen, in large, we have a very good and helpful governmental system. And Rob Rob you, you spoke a couple of days, a couple of weeks ago about Albania. Everything's bribery there, right? And, and they stand out, their organization does because they don't sell bribes. So that just doesn't happen in America. Well, it probably does happen, okay? But rules are against it, right? IRS auditors will come and make sure that you are keeping books correctly. People spend years in jail for bribing and for lying and for not doing their taxes appropriately. But in Albania, it's a norm. Other places, it's a norm. It's a norm around the world. America, in many ways, stands out unique in that sense and though you might argue that we're getting less and less freedom, as our taxes are getting bigger and bigger, government gets larger and larger, listen, we still have great freedom here in our land. And our emperor is nothing like the emperor of Peter's day. But our government could be helped. I'm not saying it's great. Our government could be helped. It could be helped even by what Peter says here but the purpose of the of government here. Look what he says. He says, The governmental leaders are sent for the punishment of evildoers, In the praise of those who do right. Just a little sidelight here. Unfortunately, our land, our government thinks that their, their job is to reform evildoers, send them to jail, have them think a long time they're in jail, many, many years. Hopefully, when they get out, they'll be reformed. We see it doesn't work. It'd be great if criminals were reformed in jail. But listen, the government isn't about the reforming work. The government should be about the punishing work. They punish evildoers. It must be done quickly and effectively. Think think about this. Ecclesiastes 8 verse 11. Solomon, in all his wisdom, observed this. And I think this is a commentary on our American society today. He says, Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, therefore the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to evil. In other words, you can commit a crime if you know that justice will be delayed. There's a lot less deterrent if you know justice is going to come swift and righteous and soon. Justice delayed for years leads to more evil in our land. Our government can learn by that. But Peter also says the role of government is to praise those who do right. Listen, it's a good thing when the President of the United States calls people to him and gives them honor or recognizes some service they did or some thing that they accomplished that's what Nobel Peace Prize I mean that is a good thing people should be honored by that it's a good thing when cities honor outstanding citizens by naming streets after them like Holmgren Way right it's a good thing when buildings are named after good c- citizens it's a good thing when schools honor exemplary students in National Honor Society or such things we could probably do more of these things it'd be good for us at church to do some of those things as well to just encourage it's good for you to praise and encourage your children with jobs well done. Listen, but even when things aren't done, Peter's call for us to submit to our governing authorities, even when they're not even punishing evildoers and praising those who do right. Why do we submit to authorities? For the Lord's sake. There's another reason why we submit to our authorities for the Lord's will. Verse 15, For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of of foolish men. It's God's will for you to submit to your authorities. Peter can't say it more clearly. Such is the will of God. Submit to every human institution for such is the will of God. And I believe, it's interesting here, I believe that Peter particularly has in mind the difficult situations in which you're finding yourselves in submitting the difficult governmental situations they were finding themselves in. When others are failing to do what is right, he says, you continue to do what is right. You trust in the Lord to vindicate you someday. And I say that because the whole context is surrounded by those who he calls to submit who are in difficult circumstances, right? Look at chapter 2, verse 18. He says, slaves, be submissive to your masters, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. Extrapolate that back to the government. Submit to your government, not only to good governments, but also to bad and evil governments. Look down there, chapter 3, verse 1. Wives, in the same way you wives, be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the Word, even if it's difficult to submit to your husband because of his attitudes and because of his unbelief and because of his disobedience, and even, yes, defiance against God is still God's will for your life. At the heart of all this submission is the example of our Lord. Verse 21 calls Jesus our example. You've been called for this purpose. What's the purpose? To suffer now in your submission, realizing glory later will come. How was Jesus our example? He did what was right and silenced the ignorance of foolish men. Look how He did what was right. Verse 22, He committed no sin. Nor was any deceit found in his mouth. While reviling, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. think about what Jesus did. He lived a perfect life. Then was falsely accused, found guilty at an illegal trial late at night. Nailed to a cross by heartless men and left to die. And while he's upon the cross, he's being mocked. He saved others. He can't save himself. If he is the Son of God, let him come down now from the cross. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him if he delights in him. When submission to governmental authorities was most difficult, Jesus submitted to the governmental authorities. You know, Peter didn't do so well passing the test. You remember when Jesus was arrested, the crowds came out to arrest Jesus A large crowd of people armed with swords and clubs and chief priests and elders. And Judas identified Jesus with a kiss and they laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And you remember what what, uh, Peter did, right? Took it out and went for the slave's head and missed and got his ear. And Jesus probably put hands on him said, Peter, probably looked him straight in the face and says, put your sword away. Those who live by the sword, die by the sword. Jesus submitted himself to the authorities, but Peter didn't. And it is interesting, by doing right, Jesus silenced the ignorance of foolish men. When Jesus finally did die, a centurion of which watched it all said, surely this was the Son of God. I think the sense there, he said, certainly this man was innocent. The sense there is that the centurion saw him and he was silenced. After Jesus died... Instead, said the crowds returned home, beating their breasts in distress. Since theirs, they walked away in silence. Doing right, He silenced the ignorance of foolish men. That's what Peter calls us to do. You know, over the years, I've been in conversations with men who have had various run-ins with the law. And with some of them, it's really come to the point where they actually despise the policemen. They hate the policemen. They think they're corrupt and wicked. They believe they've been treated unfairly and they feel like the police are corrupt and want nothing to do with them and so they speak badly against them. And I've often felt like at a loss of these conversations, my perspective has been different. I guess, in some sense, I've not been in trouble with the law. The... The law, though, punishes evildoers and praises those who do right. I've I've experienced praise from policemen, not punishment from policemen. But I guess if that's where you are, you, you hate your authority and you go after it. And I know abuses exist. In fact, a little more than 15 years ago, I was living in Los Angeles going to seminary. And, and uh, I, I lived... I remember coming home uh, late at night. They had all these lights up and uh, kind of right outside my apartment complex, they had all these lights. And uh, the deal was they were... They were filming a Schwarzenegger movie, and so they only, you know, Schwarzenegger. He's always just things at night, right? And so they got all these things, all these cameras, and and there was this guy in our apartment complex who was trying to, you know, catch a glimpse of Arnold on his his camcorder. This is 15 years ago, so his camcorder was like this big, you know, trying to get a glimpse of that there. And and while he's getting a glimpse of that right out there, woo, 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 catches the policeman and goes woo, woo, and then he catches the police, zooms in on him, and they're beating Rodney King. And then that just phew, scattered across across the world, and um, it was terrible. But you know what? I'm a sympathizer to the police who put themselves in harm's way every day. And, and we we live in such a country where um, where there's so much evil out there. And these police, yeah, there might be abuses, but you know what? I'm willing to give them and many times the benefit of the doubt. We don't know. You know, If so you dug into that Rodney King case. You find out just how he was resisting them. I can't recall exactly, but I think several miles up the road, you know, he'd fled and he'd run. And um, so there are a lot of extenuating circumstances. You know, there's drugs involved. These guys are looking for their safety and everything like that. And we live in a country where abuses are taken seriously, and I thank the Lord that that is the case. But listen, even if such abuses were not taken seriously, and even if that wasn't the ACLU all over that situation with Rodney King, we're still called to do what's right. We aren't to despise, complain, and hate our authorities. We're called to do what's right. Realizing that they, in the best of their wisdom, are trying to maintain the peace for us. And you know, that's what David did. David was a man after God's own heart. He did what was right and silenced the ignorance of foolish men. He was anointed the next king of Israel. But it was Saul who was the king. And uh, as David's giftedness arose and the lady sang, David, Saul has slain his thousands, but David is ten thousand. Saul was angry and very jealous and began to hunt him down. So David went to hiding. Saul pursuing David. At one point, when he first went there, he went to the priest at Nob who helped him with some food and some weapons and cast him on. When Saul found out that Ahimelech... And these priests at Nob helped David. He was so irrational and so crazy that he summoned Ahimelech in and said, "What have you done?" And Ahimelech said, "This is David. Who's more faithful in all your kingdom than David?" Didn't matter. It cost Ahimelech his life, along with 85 others, along with a bunch of women and children and animals in Nob that day. Saul then went right past Nob and went to pursue David. And Saul was far from a righteous man. And David was hiding. Near a cave near Engedi, and Saul with his 3,000 men were searching after him, and Saul went into the cave to relieve himself. All right. In those days, they didn't have like little porta potties alongside of the road. Right. You, get, you get the picture. He went in to relieve himself, and David's men said, David, David, behold, this is the day. The Lord said, behold, I'm about to give your enemy into your hand. Do to him as it seems good to you. Because they were in the recess of the cave. And David said, "No, I, I, I can't do that." He cut off the edge of Saul's robe. When Saul left the cave, David then came to the, the mouth of the cave and said, "My Lord, the King." Think about that, my Lord, the King, giving him sir, giving him an honorable title. Why do you listen to the words of men saying, "Behold, David seeks to harm you." Behold, this day your eyes have seen the Lord. Had given you in today into my hand in the cave, and some said to kill you, but my eye had pity on you, and said, I will not stretch my hand out against the Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. And then he showed him the, the corner of the robe he cut off. And you know what happened to Saul? He wept and went home. By doing right, David silenced the ignorance of foolish men, but only lasted a little bit of time, because a short time later again Saul took three thousand of his men pursuing him. And Saul and his men camped at the hill of Hakala near David's hiding place. So David went down by the camp by night by Saul, saw who he was sleeping, his spear was stuck in the ground, lay right there at his head. And Abner said, David, David, everyone's sleeping because the Lord had put a slumber upon them. David, today God has delivered your enemy into your hand. Let me strike him the spear to the ground only once. I won't have to do it again a second time. And David said, don't destroy him. For who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be without guilt? So David took the spear and the water jug and went over the way. And then as soon as he got over there, he shouted, hey guys, over there in the camp. You were supposed to be guarding Saul. Abner, how good a job did you do? <laughs> Not very good. Look, I got his spear and I got his jug. In the response, Saul said, I've sinned, I've played a fool and have committed a serious error. He went away. By doing right, David silenced the ignorance of foolish men. That's what we're called to do. We're called to do what's right, even when our authorities are in the wrong Paul said in Romans 12, 21, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. Vengeance is the Lord, he'll deal with the injustices. But listen, I want want you to see this. What was it that gave David reason to treat Saul like this? Why didn't David just kill Saul? Twice! Could have killed him easily. His man was crazy. David knew it. He played the harp with him, tried to calm him down. Twice even he took up a spear and tried to spear him through like a shish kebab in his presence. But every time, it was understanding of God's sovereignty, of God's anointing rulers. He said, Saul is God's anointed. I'm not going to touch him. I'm not going to touch God's anointed. And I'm telling you today, your view of God's sovereignty with respect to governmental authorities is the very thing that's going to help you to submit to them Listen to Paul's words in Romans 13. I want to come back. I'm not. Romans 13. Listen to what Paul says. He says, Every person is to be subject in subjection to governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. No authorities exist except what has been established by God. Therefore, listen, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinances of God and those who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Every authority has been established by God. And that means that the next president of the United States, we may elect him, but God has selected him or her and we need to submit to our governmental authorities and one thing's going to help you even is to see the anointing right? you say, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed you know that governmental leaders are anointed by God Romans 13 verse 3 rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior but for evil do you want to have no fear of authority do its good and you'll have praise from the same for it is a minister of God to you for good But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. This is a minister of God. You know where minister is? It's the word deacon. Governmental authorities are deacons set to serve and help us. You see a man with a badge. You got to treat him with the same honor you treat a deacon in the church. He's God's minister. That's what allowed David to submit to Saul, because he was God's anointed, and that's just going to allow you to submit to even ungodly leaders because they are the anointed. Well, there are the first two points, and you know what? I plan to hit the last point, but you know we'll hit it next time. We'll hit it next week. So I'll just figure it out. How to fit it in. Submit to authorities for the Lord's sake, for the Lord's will. And let's get for the Lord's service is what it is. So we serve the Lord. I got some good thoughts here, but I'll just I'll just give them to you next week. But I, I just say this as I as I close my message today. Are you submitting to your authorities? Are you honoring your authorities? You know, one of the things that I've learned over the years of pastoring a church is it's difficult to lead people. And that um, grumblers and complainers can come in the church easily. And, and I try the best of my heart to lead the best way. And sometimes there are people just... You know what? You can... Abraham Lincoln said... I'm not sure if it's Lincoln. You can fool all the people, some of the people all the time. You can fool all the people some of the time. Well, listen. It means that uh, some of the people complain all the time. And all the people complain some of the time. But not all the people complain all the time. Um, just has to do with authority, okay? It's, not, it's nothing to do... It's just, just natural who, who people are and stuff. And here's what I've learned. I've learned of uh, being on the one end of that, and maybe you who are managers, maybe you know what this is about. Maybe you know those of you who are over people know what this is about. But I have learned, in light of where I have stood, particularly to say to my kids... And for myself, we need to appreciate other leaders. So our kids are involved in this youth theater program, Christian youth theater time. And I've told them time and time and time and time and time again, express your appreciation and thanks to those who are running um, the organization. Thank them for all the work that they do. Be appreciative. Do what they tell you. Because I know on on my side how much I appreciate that when people are willing followers. And I know it's changed. Like I, I play in this basketball league on Thursday nights. And um, whenever I have chance, hey, Doug, your son runs the thing. Whenever I have chance, Paul, thanks for your work you do. Thank, I know it's a lot of work to put this whole thing together, but thanks. I thanked the referee the other night, you know, even though he made some bad calls and I disagreed with him. I thanked the other referee just saying thanks for your work. You know, just, just I understand now more than ever before in my life just the role of that. And I would encourage and exhort all of you to, to do that with your lives to honor those in authority over you appreciate them thank them and encourage them in every way that's what paul peter is calling us to do let's just pray lord i pray that you would give us the heart the ability the desire to uh to follow after these things God, make us a submissive people and next week as we continue on thinking about how it is that we can um do so by honoring all people, loving the brotherhood, fearing God, and honoring the King. I pray that you would be honored with our time. Teach us, Lord, how to respond, I think especially this election year. May we not fail to pray for our leaders. May we not fail to support them in whatever way we can. May we not work in the right way to uh, to see things better. We trust you with these things. In Christ's name we pray.